Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Such fun. What are we doing at the moment? We're going through Exodus. Who read the portion? Chapter 7 to 13, roughly, hey? I was so excited when I got draw. <laughs> and it's mine. I, I love lists. So the 10 plagues are quite up my alley. So this morning, guess what? You're going to get a few lists. <clears throat> but have you, as you read it, I hope that you start to think about the realities of what this book represents. The realities of when this book was written. Got a nation who a couple of hundred years beforehand supplied food for all of the nations in the area. We've got some of the greatest buildings still was built in this nation. We had a nation that, that looked at everything as, as gods. They had, my kids went through it in grade four or something, they learned the Egyptian gods. I don't know why. But some of them have really easy names, Isis and Ra. It's easy, you know. But this one is the sun god, and this one is one eye, and this one is the god of sight, and this one is fertility. And then there's one with a frog head, Shalane sent it to us. That's the fertility one. And then there's the one that looks like a, a dog. Where's Grace? Who's that? It's the god of the underworld. And they've, they've recorded everything. They gave us papyrus. They did hieroglyphics. They, they recorded things. Historians of the day. Pharaoh, in their eyes, were considered a god. The Pharaoh of the day. I was talking to Marlies. We're debating, why did, why did the daughter of Pharaoh have the opportunity to save a Hebrew boy? Why? They say that this daughter that got Moses could have been one of the daughters of one of the concubines of the Pharaoh. Um, but she would have probably cons been considered a demigod then if she was the daughter of Pharaoh, the, the god. And they would pick which god they would like. So this time Pharaoh would be inclined to the froghead god. So that would be the main god of that reign. And then this one would pick Ra and it would be the sun that was everything. And so it would, would go. And some of the the princesses and the princes would be, according to them, the incarnation of some of the gods. So here this goddess, in their terms, come down to the Nile, to bath, in water supplied by one of the other gods. And she picks up a little basket and she gets a son. And she gets to keep him. Because she can go to her dad and say, I'm going to keep this toy, if you don't mind. How divine God orchestrated, how divinely he, he brings that about. And then we were talking about why then did Moses run away when he killed an Egyptian? And because he was a prince. He was brought up. Those, those sons that they adopted could easily have become the main pharaoh. It wasn't, it was preferred to be the firstborn son. It was something coveted by the pharaohs. But they could have just said, no, I'm going to skip you. 
I like Moses, and I think he's got the sun God anointing on him. He's going to be king. He's going to be the next Pharaoh. And then he runs away when he kills in another Egyptian. But his mom can break the rules, or his adopted mom can break the rules, but he's scared and he runs away. It's amazing how, how these different insecurities and mindsets manifest themselves in giving fruition to the plan of God. My encouragement is even in our insecurities, even in our slip-ups, even in our fears, God comes and He divinely directs. Redemptive nature of God comes and He says, I will, I will direct your life. It should bring a smile to some of your faces. And there's life. Hallelujah. But Duan did a good job last week, eh? What was his main point? What were his main points? Did a good job, but we can't remember. How sad. There's a season of call. There's a season of preparation. There's a season of commissioning. You guys remember? And he said it's all about perspective. And today there's an element of perspective in my portion also. There's, there's chapters about these plagues. The simple thing a plague, when you look at the word that it describes, is this to be stricken. They used that same word plague in the Hebrew and Aramaic to describe somebody that was leprous. A simple thing it also means is a blow. Now let me tell you, when somebody slaps you, you stop and take notice. <laughs> I was in one fight in my entire life. I know from Ranton, it's a miracle. On the tennis court. And this oak serves the best one, but it is just long of the service block. And I go, dude, if that thing was in. Well, I get to say, dude, I was darting in was, because I was Afrikaans back in the day. <coughs> I was darting in was. Yo. This oak climbs over the, 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 the net and tries to hit me. But fortunately, I was tall, so I just stood on my toes, and he could only punch me here. He was a shorter oak. But boy, did I take notice of him next time I saw him. That blow arrested my attention in the moment. And it said, hey, take note. That's the same thing that this means, this word means, is, hey, take note. And I think that's what God wants to do with us now, 2018, not way back then. He wants to say, hey, take note. What are you learning from Exodus? Are you paying attention? Or is it just another kiddie story that you've heard before? Who can, who can ramble off the ten plagues? Come, quickly, quickly, quickly. What was the first one? Come on, do it together. Blood, then. Frogs, then. No, 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 no. Yeah, and then? Then flies, then? Sores, boils. No, guys, you're rushing ahead. In order. Death of the, the livestock. Hail, locusts, darkness, death of the firstborn. I was going to give a chocolate away for the first one that could do that, but I will keep it myself. <laughs> the first bit of scripture I want to park this thing on is Exodus 7 verse 1 to 7. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. 
out of his land, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. This is a portion that we don't want to read as Christians. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel among them. Moses and Aaron did so. Moses was 80. His brother was 83. Side note, age is irrelevant to God. Because Moses was probably thinking, oh, I'm too young for this. And Aaron was thinking, why does my younger brother get this? And, and Moses was saying, oh, well, maybe I'm too old for this. I can't walk anymore. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. I had claimed this morning, say bye to me. He's visited us. His wife found the Lord Jesus a few weeks ago. Trevlin, when did you lead her to the Lord? At the ripe age of what? 70-something. With God, age is but a number. Obedience is everything. But the reason I read this portion, this portion where it says, I will bring signs on the Egyptians and I will bring judgment signs for the Israelites. God will do anything to get your attention. The only way you can miss him is if you choose to. The only way you could have missed the hand of God, the hand of God in that day and age, was if you chose not to pay attention. Sister Act 2 says, if you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you got to wake up and pay attention. Got some attention there. A couple of things out of this thing. God is slow to anger and rich in love. I wrote that down because when it says, God said, I will harden the heart of Pharaoh and he will not let you go. We all as Christians say, mm-hmm. this is now the God of love that I'm supposed to follow. And we use it to justify when we desire what we desire and when we do what we desire instead of what we know we should do. That's good for us because oh, there's no hope for me because God, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. We don't want to hear that. He says this at the beginning before the 10 plagues and gives warning after warning after warning to Pharaoh to change his ways. Perhaps the interpretation of the scripture is to start out with God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, but then allowed him to make up his own mind just like all of us. How many people do you come across that cannot get past this point? Because why would a loving God do that? Well, not, not every word and, and every punctuation mark is recorded in the Bible. Let's, let's see God as slow to anger and rich in love. The recorders of the history of that time had very short memories. Because just a couple of hundred years before, God saved them and gave them food when everybody else didn't have it. And that Pharaoh that said, oh, praise to the God of Joseph, was honored by God in a mighty way. The next thing I wrote about this portion in, in introduction is familiarity sometimes makes us 
or, or stops us from paying attention. It sounds awfully familiar that God again uses a slave, a Hebrew slave, to bring some sort of awakening in Egypt. Guys, remember in Genesis what happened with Joseph? No, we'll have to go through Genesis now because you're not paying attention. But we, he sends this Hebrew slave and he gives him the gift of interpretation of dreams. He gives him the mind of a strategist. He makes him leader in Egypt and Egypt becomes the nation that it is at this stage. He again sends a slave boy from the tribe of Levi. And he says, bring redemption to my people and awaken something in Egypt. But because it's such a familiar path, such a familiar path, they stop to pay attention. How many, how many times in your life do you stop paying attention because the path is too familiar? Maybe the road to LRC on a Sunday is too familiar. Maybe your daily routine is too familiar. You wake up and pay attention. Such devotion that he will go and save a nation that obviously doesn't want to serve him. And warn them, 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 and save them every time. The devotion of God and his grace is so evident in the Old Testament, isn't it? One final thing I want to say. God goes through on, on this point. I'm not done, guys. Don't, don't, you're not off easy this morning. He goes through ten plagues. He goes through nine plagues. And he says, go and say to Pharaoh this. On this day, I will do this. On this day, I will do this. And he announces what's going to happen. But the last one, he says, go and tell the people. I want to say two things here. Sometimes God will honor the leaders that he has appointed because we know no form of leadership is there unless God has appointed it. And he honors that structure and he speaks through that. But when the point of disobedience comes to the point of distraction, God will speak to his people. Can I throw out a provocative statement and say, do you know that God loves the devoted Muslim as much as he loves you. Do you know this? That that confusion that is bred and indoctrinated into certain people, God can speak past that. You might just be that vehicle that God wants to use to speak to them. God will stop at nothing to pursue you. God will speak through leaders, but God will speak to you directly. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. I want to say in this church, we believe that we as elders, plurality are the governance in this church. We do this with our wives, with a team. We do this with apostolic oversight. And input, we steward things with an open hand. You can be safe. But we also rely on you sometimes hearing God for yourself. Please don't put the burden on us to be the voice of God, the only voice that God can use in your life. Please seek Him and hear His voice. 
Let's go into the 10 plagues. Okay, number one, the blood. Now, how do I preface this? This point I'm going to talk to you about how the Egyptians saw it. Is that all right? So my first point is how the Egyptians saw the, the plagues. He turns the water into blood. Now, who of us believe in the, 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 the Bible stories we read as kiddos? Ten days, ten plagues. Eh? Just a little bit of context here. It wasn't quite possibly ten literal days. It wasn't today. It's water into blood. Tomorrow it's frogs. Tomorrow it's nuts. Then it's flies. No. How do we know this? Because it's recorded. It's recorded how it happened during the reign of this Pharaoh. God comes and he uses nature to work as signs and wonders to the Egyptians. Reference book, good tool to have. Lion's Handbook of the Bible. The Nile, the heart of the nation's economy and, and worship, its lifeblood turns to blood. The fish cannot live in the thick red water. The second one, seven days later, frogs driven from the riverbanks by the rotting flesh of the fish seek shelter in the houses. First gnats and then flies breeding amongst the carcasses of fish and frogs plague the land. Disease strikes the cattle and the skin of, of people. Was carried by the frogs and by the insects. Then the hail comes and a thunderstorm destroys Thunderstorms destroys the flax and the barley crops, but not the wheat and the spelt, because we know they harvest them later. The wind blows in a plague of locusts from Ethiopia, and they strip the last little bit of green in the country. And for three days, the light of the sun is blotted out, and they think that is recorded as a dust storm. The plagues probably took place over six months to a 12-month period. Now you want to say to me, then why is this a sign? Because it could have just happened. It could have just happened. For the first time in history, does the Nile flood all the way from Ethiopia with thick red sand that comes down at the point when God says, let it turn to blood. And all the fish die because of the lack of oxygen, nutrients in the water. God says, a couple of days later, you will see what will happen because I'm in control of nature. Do you believe God is still in control of nature? Or do you just actively dismiss any of these people that are saying polar caps are melting? Is God in control of nature? I want to challenge your minds a little bit when you read the Bible. Don't just read it like you did when you were seven and eight. Read it with interpretation, insight, with reference books to understand how this can match up with history so that you've got something in your arsenal to stand when somebody said to you, that is rubbish. And you can say, it is not. 
It is not just a fictional book. It is recorded in history. This is what I can do. My first point, the blood for the Egyptians or the Nile for the Egyptians, God comes and he takes away their source. He shakes their lives. I want to say, do you think God just took away their source because he just wanted them to have no source? No. God's heart in this is, I will take away your source so that you can once again return to me as the source of life for Egypt. Second thing, the frogs. I wrote this for the Egyptians, that it's the contamination that infiltrates. 400 years before this, they acknowledge God. But somehow, these frogs have come and infiltrated their minds and distracted them from God. Distracted from the work that he has done for them, that he did for them. I wrote the, the gnats for me represented in the Egyptians, the rotting stench of their society. That they take the grace of God so lightly that they make the very people that he used to bring freedom in their country an object of slavery. The flies. Shoe fly. Don't bother me. God is coming and he wants to annoy them. Can I have your attention? 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 And all they do is shoe fly. Don't bother me. Livestock. The livestock in Egypt represented their wealth. But they amassed as a country. God says, I will take it away from you. Because the wealth of the nations belong to me, and I will make it flow. The boils is the health of the nation. You know that they had a God that they praised for medicine? You still do the, what is the Hippocratic Oath, Sean? Ali? You still do it, eh? You would have done a very different oath in Egypt. <laughs> The hail was God taking away their protection and their shelter. The locust was God saying, there will be no hope left for you. If you do not turn away from what you are doing, there will be no hope left. The darkness. I'm going to use this for us also, what we learn from them. But will you walk by sight or will you walk by faith? I'm going to skip the death of the firstborn. For the Egyptians, every plague that hit them was God knocking down another God represented in their society. One after the other. God is saying, will you have no more idols? Will you love me, the Lord, only? 
Next portion I want to hang the point on for what does the plagues mean to us is Exodus 6, 5 to 7. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I'm the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I have remembered my covenant. Who has met my daughter Iris? She looks just like me. She's beautiful. She is uh, quite a task to parent. Because unlike just the physical likeness that we share, we also have um, the nature that we share. And I just want to say parenting here gives me a lot of patience with people around me because life can't be easy with me. But she is confident in who she is. Drives with Molly's the other day and she says, am I the rainbow promise of God? No, Iris, your name means rainbow promise, covenant of God. And God promised that through your life, he will reestablish in people's lives the covenant that he has made. So I'm the most special. No, Iris, all the siblings are special. But I am the most special covenant of God. <laughs> no, Iris. No, you are not. May we remember like Iris remembers covenant. What he says here, I will remember my covenant. Because for us, the first thing of water turning to blood is the covenantal commitment that Jesus Christ made with us. When he came and he died for us. The second thing. I've grouped them together. The frogs, the gnats, and the flies. For us today. Do we have the things of the past? Like the frogs came out of the river. Do we have the things of the past that creep back into our lives? And contaminate our nature? We have those little frogs that breed so quickly from tadpole to frog, just like this. I come and invade your life again and tell you, you are not a new creation. You are just the same person, rubbish, worthless, no hope for you that you used to be. I gripped the, the gnats and the flies. I said, the gnats and the flies are distraction and and a sign of rot. When that old nature comes and creeps back into our lives and we slip up, do we sit with the flies and the gnats or do we say, Lord, I will rise up and chase away the rot. Get rid of the contamination and infiltration. Lord, I stand before you because the first thing you did was you turned my water into blood. I'm taking latitude here, but please follow me. It's a journey. The only way you can get rid of those annoyances is if you remember the covenant that gone before. Like Iris says, am I the most special one? 
that you made a covenant with me. The livestock. He, he said to the Israelites, ask the Egyptians for jewelry and for possessions. God has got you. He will provide what you need when you need it. He's got you. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I don't feel like he's got me. I just live in perpetual need and lack. He's got you. The Israelites lived in lack and need for hundreds of years. And at the right time, for the right reason, he gave it to them without having to pay for it. He's got you. The boils. I want to say when you read that, that thing about the boils, can you remember that God brought healing? First of all, spiritual healing in relationship with him. You are his. Secondly, emotional healing. You are whole. Thirdly, physical healing. We have many testimonies. Hal came this morning and said her sister was struggling with her chest. And during worship, felt like God brought relief. In our midst. Right here. Happens. When you read about the hail in the, the plagues, can you remember that he covers you with his wings and you live in the shelter of the Most High? The locusts. It was a tough one for me. I didn't know how to make it work. I didn't try to do alliteration this time. It would have been too much work. It's too much effort. But the locust came and they ate the last little bits of green that was left in Egypt. They chomped it. I mean, Joyce Myers writes a book to say locusts don't eat grapes. They just eat what's supposed to sustain the, the grapes. I'm not a botanist or a horticulturist. I don't understand that. I want to say when I walk through my garden and I see there's a little flower, we've got this fuchsia that is eventually blooming. One flower. One. When you read the, the, the plague about the, the, the locust, can you remember that there is a garden of hope in Christ for you? That even that one fuchsia should be celebrated. Not the locust eating it, but what they came to eat. It's under the protection of the mighty. There is hope for us when we read this. The darkness. Oh, let's read this. I'm sorry, I'm getting very excited here today, and I seem to be all on my own. My dad is even quiet. Psalms 139 verse 12 says, And even the darkness is not dark to you, God. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. When the enemy comes and he throws shade, 
my millennial reference for the day. When he brings darkness in your life, God says, I'm there with you. And to me, darkness isn't dark because I radiate light. I want to say if they come and bring darkness in your mind about who you are, renew it with the light of Christ. Remind yourself, I'm his beloved. He is mine. And to him, darkness is as light. Leading to the last one, death, we're going to go through in my third point. But I want to say, the same signs that God used to drive fear and intimidation into the Egyptians, those signs were the same signs that brought hope, awe, and reverence into the Israelites. What signs are you observing around you? That the enemy wants to use to bring fear and intimidation. And God says, I will use this to bring hope for a future in you. How often do we stalk to each other and say, yo, this country, yo, this world, the ice caps are melting. The same God that controlled nature in such a spectacular way still controls nature. And the same God that can make it melt can make it freeze. I know I'm oversimplifying this and we have a role to play. Don't get me wrong. We should recycle. and we, All of those things, good things. It's stewardship under God. It is. But can you look at those things from an Israelite camp and say, this is hope for a future and not from an Egyptian camp that says, I'm so, I'm so fearful, I won't even leave my house. What is the use of going to India? Because we can only make a difference in 40 girls' lives. We go on a mission trip. There's 2 million people in this slum, and we can only deal with 40 people. Let me tell you, there is hope in Christ. Duan is out in Lesotho. There is hope in Christ. We go out to Alex. There is hope in Christ. Change your perspective from looking at it like an Egyptian who is fearful and look at it as an Israelite to say, there's a God of judgment on my side and with him I can scale a wall. The last thing, the death of the firstborn. It's a tough one. Because I never want to minimize the loss of a child. Never, ever. Can't even contemplate it. I can't understand it. But it truly is the greatest sign that God did. For every other plague, you can say it was just an unfortunate event and a consequence of nature that contributed to this plague. For this time, the Nile came down with red soil and it looked like blood. We can justify every other one. But when you come to the death of the firstborn of every human an animal, on the same time, at the same time. It's got to be a divine thing involved. They, 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 they say it might have been the bubonic plate or, the, or, or something that came. The same time, all of the people 
did not accept Jesus Christ or the, the Passover lamb. Do not jump ahead of myself. They all die at the same time. And not all the children. Just the firstborn. It's the true sign. It turns into a miracle when we look at Jesus Christ. Because God comes and he says, I will also sacrifice my firstborn. I will send him through the death, through the pain, through the suffering, and his blood will be spilled. My firstborn, so that after him, everybody else can, can go through the womb to be born again. There are so many references and things that I can cite. The angel says to Joseph, take Mary and the child and go and live in Egypt. I will let you know when it's safe for you to return at Jesus' birth. They go and live in Egypt and later they come back out of Egypt. Return three years, four years later after the death of Herod. Out of Egypt, the Savior comes. Just like Moses, hundreds and thousands of years before that, took the Israelites as the firstborn of God out of Egypt. The one who is our firstborn, our brother. Our Savior comes out of Egypt. Fulfillment of the prophecies that says, out of Egypt I've called my son. He comes. Jesus was son of God, son of man, firstborn of God. He was also the sacrificial lamb. Exodus records that every firstborn human and every firstborn of animal was slain. He dies as our Passover lamb. He dies as son of God, son of man, so that we can have resurrected life in him. And as Egypt goes through the loss and the mourning and the death of the firstborn, Passover is birthed. Where God says, this is what it will look like one day. I will pay the price for you so that sin and death will reign in you no more and will pass over you. The tenth plague as a sign of hope for all humanity. Oh God, may we never miss it. May we never, ever grow so familiar with reading this as a sign of the salvation that was predestined years ago for you and me, so that we can live today in freedom and hope and potential and life. Oh, we miss it so often. We get so wrapped up in ourselves with the gnats and the flies and the frogs. Lord, help us. Exodus 13, 14 to 16. And when in time to come your son asked you, what does this mean? Talking about the Passover. You shall say to him by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but also the firstborn of my sons I redeemed. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. He brought us out of Egypt. 
Exodus is about people leaving a place of oppression, a place of captivity, a place of intense labor as slaves. A story of a way of entering hope, promises, living up to our potential in Christ. Exodus is, is, a, is a history and a recount of God taking a people out of a state of complacency, accepting the norm, just living what, what the life is, life is throwing at you into a state of warring. Do you know that LLC at the moment is in a state of complacency and God is shaking us up and saying, will you go to war with me on this journey? Will you fight for your inheritance? Will you fight for your potential? Will you see things I, the way I see it and not the way that the Egyptians see it? Will you let me interpret life for you? And will you stop interpreting life for yourself? Exodus is journeying with God with only his leading and nothing else. The best promise we as elders can ever make to this church is that we will never stop listening to God. In the detail and in the macro and the micro planning, we will never stop listening to God. It comes with sometimes we're going to be hugely uncomfortable with what he's asking us. But it also comes with sometimes we're going to see massive fruit in him. With him. Exodus is a story about being completely dependent on the Lord God. Yahweh, Adonai, El Shaddai, Jehovah. The one and only. On his power, his will, and his provision. I hope that has meant something to you. I hope that you're sitting here today and you can say, I've accepted that Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. Because if you haven't, I'm sorry for you. The Bible says that without Jesus, there is no hope for eternity. I'm excited for you to be on a journey with this body. So are all the elders. We are. But that will never, ever surpass the celebration and joy that we feel when people say, I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Whether you journey with us or not, that is what it's about. Nothing else. Jesus and him crucified, him resurrected, and him ascending into glory. Or, yeah, and seated in all authority, dominion, and power for all eternity. That's who we serve. Can you close your eyes? Father, I thank you this morning. That you bring conviction, my Lord. Nothing I say, Father, if it's not anointed and filtered by your Holy Spirit, Lord, it cannot bring life. I can shout at the top of my lungs. Only what you birth in hearts can bring life. I thank you for that, God. I thank you that you're birthing life in this congregation, in this body, in hearts right now. And Father, as we go and enjoy fellowship, my Lord, May it bring you glory. In Jesus' name.